they give you like two tiny little like shredded pieces of cheese and they put it on it. And that's not what I want on a pizza. It's like the podcast version of the movie Hackers, but far less realistic. You're listening to Founder Quest. You're looking chipper, Ben. I'm feeling chipper, Josh. I'm glad. Yeah, there's kind of like a yeah. you have kind of like a glow. <laughs> is this like the new product glow? I think I think it is the new product glow. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I pushed out a new feature this Con- morning. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So uh, yeah, feeling pretty good. Had a good week. Got some stuff built and deployed, and things are like working. Nice. Learned some things along the way. So yeah, it's it's good. You know, I had a pretty good awesome. week too. Sleep aside. Yeah, wow. I even got enough sleep one day. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good day. <laughs> and I, oh, I've been making progress on the uh, on the terrible. JavaScript stuff, so that's always that's always good when I'm uh, not whatever. Unlike redoing our Node like client library. Yeah, the the universal rewrite. So it's it's combining the uh, client side and the server side, okay. so that they can both. Uh, Function basically the same code running on the front end and back end um, with a few minor differences in how the platforms uh, handle all the important things. So <laughs> it's a bit of a can of worms, but it's um, what the kids demand these days. So got to give them what like they want. Like your kids? <laughs> yeah, your so kids all my kids are demanding universal NPM packages. <laughs> my kid just demands pizza. <laughs> Yeah, we've been making pizza lately and it's been pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing it too. Like the whole, have you been doing like the um, the dough where you let it rise for like a day? And yeah, Kaylin Kay- does um, does the dough and then I do the, uh, we got that. Did I tell you, I told you all about the smoker with the, it's a pellet smoker with the, uh, it has a pizza ta- or pizza oven attachment that like sits right directly in the, uh, whatever the furnace part of the smoker and so you get like this um it's like a wood fired pizza oven and it can cook your pizza at like 800 degrees or higher so it's pretty intense that would be really handy like we've we've scaled back our pizzas just because it's like really hot and nobody has ac in seattle and mm-hmm. neither do we i mean we've got like a unit that we can like drag up from the basement and it's like ridiculously obtrusive and everything but yeah we just try and avoid running the oven yeah in this weather it is one that is one nice thing about this is that it's on the porch so i I mean like i spend my time out there sweating on the porch like baking pizzas but everyone else doesn't have to be bothered by it we've been grilling a lot too and we've been trying to eat less meat and so we've got this like csa like farm box thing and they give us like these weird ass vegetables so i've just been grilling them all and it turns out pretty much every vegetable is good if you just put oil on it and you grill it nice like did you know there's such a thing called garlic scapes i didn't know this Mm -mm. do y'all know what garlic scapes are nope so so garlic scapes are um if you've ever seen a, a garlic plant growing like there's a garlic part that's in it's under the ground right but then there's the there's like the stem part that sticks out and it's kind of round. It has a little onion sort of bulb on top. And that is called the garlic scape. And I guess you can cut them and like grill them and they're delicious. Hmm. They're delicious. Have people always been eating these or like, what, what have we done with these for the last, however long that uh, we've been eating garlic? Like, I, cause I've never, I've never heard of this before. I like, imagine that people who grow garlic, they must eat them all. These. Like they save the good yeah. part. You know, that's the good stuff probably. And then, we get, we just get yeah, the, it must uh, be. We get the drags. So 
I had a pretty good week too. I worked a bit on the static site for or the um, sales site for uh, Hook Relay, which is the new sort of product that Ben has been working on with Kevin and um, Josh. You've been working on it too. I don't want to leave you out. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've, um, I've okay. been uh, I've been like rooting for them though. Okay, that's yeah. good. Everybody needs a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Um, cheering so, hard over here. So yeah, today we're going to be talking a little bit about sales sites, like the static, the static site that you sort of put out into the world so people can see your app. And that's not necessarily the actual sort of app itself. So I guess like we currently for this, we have our sales site hosted on a separate domain, but it wasn't always this way. Like it used to be um, like when we first launched Honey Badger, we had our, our main like Rails app and the sales site was just some pages served by that app. Mm-hmm. And we eventually changed that. And like, so why do we, why do we eventually change that and move it into its own domain? There were a few reasons there. One of them was like, we got kind of tired of having to deploy the app every time we wanted to make a content change to the website. Like, oh, I forgot to, about that. Yeah. You know, cause it has to go through all the test suite and everything. And it's like, oh, five minutes to deploy a, you know, a one word change to the site. Yeah. yeah that was, it's like it made a typo. It's going to take like, yeah. 10 minutes to, to deploy. Yep. Yep. And uh, another thing was, as I recall, we, we just had customers who were getting, some got confused about, you know, where, which, like, I, I remember we had customers who were submitting traffic to www.honeybadger.io, like API traffic. Oh, yeah. of, I don't know how that <laughs> happened, but instead of using our API domain, they used our www domain. And because the app also responded on WW, then it just worked. And they're like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And we didn't notice. And uh, then like, I don't know, three years later, when we were moving stuff around and changing how the hosting was going, it's like all of a sudden we broke that client because they were still sending traffic to our main domain and, instead of the API. Yeah, probably so an oversight on our part and it, to, to allow the traffic to, to that domain right. if, we were, if we were hosting different roles like that. But that's yeah. just kind of how, how we do. Yeah, but... But, yeah, but I mean, but when if we, you when we first launched, the Rails app did everything, right? It was yeah. a, it was a site, it was the app, it was the API. Which, to be fair, like I I do I mean I like I like that a little a little bit. Like you know, there's there's something about just having one thing that was nice, and uh, and That's there's simple. there's some other benefits. Like you can you can do like weird things with the the sales site that like integrates. You know, you can well you can like display a. It's easy to show like a log logged in link or something because you don't have to. You have the cookies right. and everything right there, the session because yeah. it's all just your app. But it presents other issues once you like down the road. So Ben, were you telling me that somebody was discussing this like in was that in the discourse? Yeah, yeah. So a few weeks ago on Twitter, I think Tyler Tringus brought this up. He was talking about. I think I think he was just like throwing out some advice for people who are starting up, and he's like. Here's a piece of advice that you'll like down the road. Separate your app from your sales site. A lot of people were like, huh? Why? You know, and all the people are like, yes, totally. <laughs> and all the yes, totally's were people like us who had been there and done that. Like, yep, it's, yeah. it's painful that way if you just start that way. Yeah. Also, like, you know, there's just a number of uh, a number of little things you don't think about when you're just like a developer making your app by yourself and like doing everything. It's like eventually you may want to have like marketing own your sales site and not be able to deploy changes to your application. <laughs> like that may not be something you want them to be able to do. Not because they have any like malice in their hearts or anything, but just because you want to like, you don't want to have to like train everybody on proper procedure for not like destroying the profit making 
entity in your life. Mm-hmm. And so are we primarily talking about um, domain, like, you know, like the subdomain that you use um, separating that? Or are we also talking like about physically from the app? Because you, I mean, you could, you could use different, you know, an app and a www subdomain still pointed at the same app, maybe like restrict certain things to, you know, to each. I mean, it's, that yeah, sounds complicated, but that would be that would, if we're talking about specifically like, like subdomain related issues, cause there are like, there's like SEO and other concerns about like having everything on the same domain, I think. Do you have any yeah, feel for that? We've kind of been conflating those two, right? Yeah. In this discussion so far, we've been like, there's, do you have separate dub 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 versus app subdomains? Um, yeah. And do you have like separate sites, like separate repos with separate things in them for uh, yeah. your app and your site? I think there, because there, there, there are benefits. Like when you're just starting out, it is, it is nice to just be able to like deploy one thing and, and just, you know, ship it and, you know, I, I, especially back then, I guess, like these days it is, a, it seems to be easier to like spin up a really quick static site or something. You can push it to Netlify, like, you know, single, it's basically like the Heroku experience for, for like static web hosting. Whereas back then, like, I mean, the alternative was like, what, like build an HTML page that you manage yourself for a static site or use something like WordPress and like, who wants to also deploy a WordPress <laughs> site in addition right. to their rails app or whatever yeah, that's a really so, good point i mean that's why i always opted to start with the in-app sales site and then as the need became apparent then you know move it if it if it became an issue but I, that's where I, I come back to the the subdomain thing because that's more difficult that that to yeah. me that's where the difficulty is it's like you don't want to have to migrate from like you know either from yeah you don't want to have to migrate either way in our case, I think we had to migrate, like we started out everything on dub, dub, dub or whatever, mm-hmm. and then had to migrate our app users to a different subdomain, which was kind of a weird yep. process as, yeah. as I recall. Yeah, I, it was a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, it was yeah, a, I, it was I, a I pain. Would, I agree that the, the subdomain part is more important than the actual infrastructure part, whether it's in an app or a separate site or whatever, especially if your app is going to have URLs that your users are going to share. Right. If, if they like, for example, in Honey Badger, you can share a public URL for your error if you want to yeah. share with the world and get some feedback or whatever. And you don't want to have to migrate those URLs at some point in the future. That's just painful, right. Because right? if you if you end up like with, you know, hundreds or thousands of those all over Stack Overflow or something or Reddit or wherever, like those are, right. you know, sticky. Yeah, they'll probably they'll get they'll have redirects applied to them, but you still have to, like, maintain those redirects forever and. And this is, much, why yeah. our, this is why our Netfly site has a whole, whole lot We've of redirects. We've got a lot of redirects in our, yeah. <laughs> For exactly that. Yeah, I think yeah. we still have some like leftover from our original, like when we ported from dub, dub, dub to yeah. app. We also yep. have some leftover from uh, when we used WordPress because we, at, at one point we had, uh, I don't think for um, like our sales site, but for our blog, which is a, probably a related discussion. Do you host your blog? This is like an SEO th- um, argument usually like hosting your blog on a subdomain versus on your sales site. I think we, we started out, we made that mistake early on too, and moved it to a subdomain, I think specifically so we could like use WordPress for the blog or whatever. But then that came back to bite us a little bit. Like we ended up moving it back eventually. 
Maybe I should step in and give uh, everybody just a little bit of context around like how we actually do things now. Do you want to tell the story of like our progression from start to finish? <laughs> Gather around, children. Gather around um, the campfire. Our current setup, we've got a, a static site, our sales site on www. And that also hosts our blog. So if you want to go to our blog, it's www forward slash blog, right? And our docs are currently on a separate a separate domain. But if yeah. we had it to do again, like maybe we would put them on the same domain, like uh, with, uh, yeah. yeah, with, um, with hook relay, we're definitely putting the docs and the blog, or if we have a blog, we're putting the blog there and the main site all on the same domain in the same like repo, the same middleman setup. Uh, in, in terms of the text, the sort of tech stack, um, we host all of our, um, static sites on Netlify. And we use middleman to sort of generate them. And if you're not familiar with that, and, middleman and is just a static. Oh, and Jekyll, we, we use that for the, we the docs? We still use it for the docs because we, we used to use Jekyll. We used to use Jekyll for the blog as well at one point. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, we've sta we're, we're standardizing on middleman though. And I think like if this work you're doing for uh, Hook Relay goes well with the docs and everything, I might, like my goal is eventually to port our docs to you know, into our main repo, and then we'll just have one, one site again. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, I can, I can keep that in so, mind when I sort of build that. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So, yeah. So anyway, the new, um, the, the sort of approach that we want to take going forward with Hook Relay is, you know, we're using Middleman to do the static site generation. We're using it to do like the static site, the docs, and the blog. And that has like a number of benefits as we've um, sort of kind of discussed so far. But one other benefit that I want to mention is that by doing that, you can actually share CSS files, you can share your JavaScript. And that's one thing that we discovered is that having, if you have your blog and docs and static site hosted on set, like different platforms and everything, it's a huge pain in the neck to make them all look similar and consistent. You end up having multiple versions of your style sheets you have to maintain or like, it's just a huge, a huge problem. Yeah. Uh, and then you also have like, multiple like it takes effort over time to like maintain middleman sites i mean it's not a huge amount but maintaining three of them is more work than maintaining one of them well, if you, i mean like we had to upgrade bootstrap because we use bootstrap for a lot of things and um so even though they're the same domain or design like they're all separate you know like we, we ha i remember having to like do multiple upgrades or uh getting weird with like sharing style sheets across domain. We, we definitely never did that. But if we did, it was a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so we're doing that. Um, we've got middleman set up with using Webpacker, like about, about three or four times a year. I remember how Webpack, not Webpacker, Webpack, how Webpack mm -hmm. works. And um, so I, you know, recently got that all set up and, you know, we're going to be using, what is it, Tailwind CSS mm -hmm. uh, for for this one and and we kind of like that because it's this i don't know it's a really neat sort of utility-based css framework that doesn't have a lot of like built-in components but it's got a lot of sort of utilities just to make writing css easy or yeah. writing code i don't know y'all want to describe why you like tailwind well i was playing around yesterday with the static site and uh you know i was trying to do some formatting stuff and what was really nice for me was like i was in the html which is in this case pretty simple because these are like pretty pretty boring pages uh but i'm like you know i want i want this to have some more padding right so i just added a class like px2 
And all of a sudden, it has some padding, right? And I don't have to go into the CSS file. It's like, oh, what's the class of this thing? And oh, do I have to worry mm -hmm. about inheritance here because it's going to conflict with that or that other thing? You know, it's just like, boom, it's that little change is done and I can move on. It's like, oh, well, what if I want uh, this section to have a different background color? Okay, well, it's BG dash gray dash 100. Okay, oh, that looks nice. I think I'll keep that, right? And then it's just move on to the next thing. So it's so, to me, it's very fast. It sounds, you know what that reminds me of? It re reminds me of, I think it was, um, I think it was Ryan Singer at Basecamp, right? Um, who I did, he, maybe like a blog post or something, or maybe it was a video I saw, but it was like basically like how he prototypes designs at Basecamp. The thing was like, you start, basically you do your design in the HTML. Don't go to some like wireframing tool or something like do your wire, wireframing in HTML. And, um, and the, the, the wild thing was, is like he, he was just writing inline CSS, like using style attributes, basically just for, for speed. So it's, that reminds me of, uh, like what you were saying, like you can kind of do that, but just do it all the time. And it gives you the same benefit of, uh, basically like designing in the same file as you. As yeah. you go. I just want to jump in and clarify, like the main sort of the main um, philosophy of like Tailwind and its approach is that like instead of making some HTML and you say the HTML, like this div has a class of like card. And so then it you write some CSS somewhere else and it looks like a card. Instead of doing that, what you do is you you don't have classes like card or whatever. Instead, you have classes like BG blue or P4 for padding, you know, four units. And you sort of use those in your HTML. And so basically by reading the HTML, you know exactly sort of how it's being styled as opposed to having to go to a separate place and then look at the styles and then figure out if they inherit from anything or, you know, whatever. Yeah, there's some other niceties in there. Like, you know, you mentioned the P4, right? It's four units. I don't have to care whether it's four pixels or eight pixels or one rem or whatever like there's there's a there's a set of predefined units that just they look nice like they've been uh, curated by someone who knows better than i do how things should look and so there's that and then there's also like the different colors like i, I mentioned the you know bg gray 100 well the 100 is a is a lightness right it goes from i think 100 to 800 or maybe 900 but there's different levels of gray there that are coordinated so those things that's that's really nice too yeah that's I, I like the using like 100 200 versus like for for like yeah color variations yeah. then like yeah. white dark lighter <laughs> lightest because we, right. we have some of that going on um yeah like for your utility then, classes as i play with it i found yes there are some places where that gets repetitive where you like got you know six or seven or eight different classes that are defining different aspects like the text color and the text size and you know et cetera, et cetera. and i i do like how tailwind also has this uh, idea i think they call it components where you can pull out those classes and you use this keyword apply and basically mm. you can say replace all that with a, a, a custom class name like oh, you know okay. header or whatever okay so you, yeah and then you can, in the CSS file, you can say, okay, apply these seven or eight things and, and make that into header. Okay. Cause I was going to ask, I was going to ask you like, because uh, star gave the example of like the card component right. and bootstrap. And it's like, well, yeah, it's nice when you're in the, when you're actually designing these things, just to use the utility classes. But it seems like, I mean, if you have, if you, if you're using cards all over the place, it would be a, <laughs> I mean, we're like, we're like back to like, just like writing HTML across like six different pages. And when you want to change something, you have to go update every file, right? So yep. 
Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's so that's can... what this solves, basically. Yep, exactly. Okay. Yep. So that's really nice to work with. So you can I, share. I really like it. Nice. It's kind of interesting to think that this, um, like this approach has, like Tailwind's a couple of years old, right? Yeah, it's pretty new. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I heard about it maybe a year or two ago. And like, I think the reason that it's, it's able to happen now is that we've got these more advanced, uh, like build tool chain, mm -hmm. right. uh, build systems, you know, like Webpack, because uh, like one thing that I learned sort of setting up Tailwind in this, in um, our new sort of static site for for hook relay is that like if you just include all the tailwind css it's like two megabytes yeah. your css file is two megabytes so then you have to have a tool that goes in and like looks and sees which um css classes are actually used by your html or your templates or whatever and only include that you know the css that is relevant to that that's and strip out CSS, everything else. right it's per css yeah and so i awesome. originally like I had set that up um, just as a separate tool or, as, you know, in the, the sort of Webpack. It's, it's actually the post CSS plugin, which is mm -hmm. like, anyway, it's, <laughs> it's in there. But then when I, I, I added Tailwind, it turns out Tailwind has its own, um, like it'll bring it to the party itself. Right. Like you don't have to have to set it up yourself. So I, I removed the one where we manually added it. Now it's like, I'm using Tailwind's built-in one. And the difference there is that like Tailwind's um, will only, it'll only like strip out Tailwind stuff. Like, because oh, okay. uh, cause one thing I quickly found with sort of the general purpose per CSS is that like, okay, I added a bunch of um, CSS for syntax highlighting and those syntax highlighting classes are never used in the like HTML templates I write because that's all dynamically generated. And so then I have to go back and like add sort of like exceptions and rules and configuration to, to not strip those out. And so I was like, well, it, it's a decent compromise is to just, you know, we'll just purge the, the Tailwind stuff. And then like our own CSS that I manually import, I'm just going to assume that I actually want that imported that and included. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I think you're right though. That is um, like tools like purge CSS are, or one reason like you can you can do a lot more with CSS frameworks because you you don't have to worry about the overhead of like including it all because you know it's going to just it's going to keep what what you what you, your users use or whatever. I'm sure that uh Tailwind will eventually be like 50 megabytes. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean so, probably Josh I I hope Adam to... listens to this by the way. <laughs> he 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 listens sometimes I think. I wanted to go back to a comment you made, Josh, and, and I have a question for you about it. So you, you were talking about how we split out the blog into a separate subdomain because we wanted to use WordPress to host the blog. And then we brought that back into our static site. So there might be some people wondering, well, okay, how do you do this blog thing with a static site? And combining with Star's comment, you might someday have a marketing person who wants to update the site and you don't want to be deploying it. So how do we have our marketing person updating our static site so that it can post to the mm. blog? You found yeah. the flaw. You found the well, critical flaw. <laughs> we um, tried a few things first. First, we tried just like using GitHub because you can get pretty far with just using the GUI editor, you know, file editor and stuff on GitHub. Like it's you can teach most people how to like create a file or, you know, et cetera. Um, the, the thing that gets kind of tricky there is like if you have like a branching workflow or like how are you actually like submitting um, content? Because like if you're auto deploying your master branch, like you don't want people just creating files at random. 
but that said, we uh, we've been using um, Netlify CMS, which is a uh, CMS on top of uh, on top of your static site that is deployed to Netlify, um, and it's backed by your GitHub repository. So it doesn't have any kind of uh, basically it uses your Git repository as its database, like for your content. So it's an editor essentially. It gives you extra workflow so that you can um, you can create posts, um, you could submit, like there's a review process. So it has like a branching workflow built in so that you um, basically it opens a, p a pull request on GitHub when you create a blog post and then you can either approve it on Netlify in the, in the like CMS admin or you can just merge the PR on GitHub. I think it works both ways. It works okay. Um, it seems like we've had a, f a few like a few, like we've struggled with it a little bit. It, I think like it's still probably in development is my guess, or hopefully anyway, because it needs some work. <laughs> um, that's, 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 um, that's some shade there, but it's still in development. Well, I hope, I'm the I one, is. I'm the one who has to like drop everything and support this thing when it, when it just like stops working. So that, which has happened a few times, I will say it hasn't happened lately. So I think Actually, I don't know because I haven't. Uh, Star and uh, Ben Finley are usually the ones that are using it these days. So you, you all maybe can fill me in on how it's working for you. Um, I haven't heard anything, which I take to be good news. But um, I don't know. I don't know if Ben Finley uses it. <laughs> Is I he never using use it. it. <laughs> I never use it. Um, and maybe it's changed, but I'll tell you why. Um, the reason why I haven't used it is because for images it just sort of like mm -hmm. adds this extra level of, of complexity like i've got these um like we have you know authors create articles for us and these articles are markdown files and you know whatever images they want to include in their article and so that's what i've got and then to get that into the netlify cms at least last time i looked at it which admittedly was like maybe six months or a year ago mm -hmm was really a pain in the neck. Yeah. Like, and not only, like, it wasn't just a matter of like, oh, I've got to pull this up and copy and paste it in. It's like, uh, there was something about the images that was like really wonky. Like, I couldn't just like give it my images. I had to like go in and like insert them in their uh, WYSIWYG editor and because yeah. it uploads them itself and then uses its own image paths. And it's just, yeah, it was just such a pain. So. For all the all the blog posts that we have commissioned and everything, I just manually do PRs for those, yeah. or I manually just like pull them in, and I've sort of I've I've made my own tooling to make that a little bit easier. Yeah, but I, I mean to yeah. be honest, I do the same thing, and I'm guessing Ben does too. Uh, ben Curtis, um, yeah. but I mean like that. I think that's also natural because like we're the ones who decided to build a static use a static site generator in the first place, so that we could reap the benefits of you know, doing stuff like that and like writing scripts and <laughs> using our own workflow or whatever. And, and not um, having to manage WordPress. And not having to use, yeah, and not having to <laughs> oh manage God, Word, yeah. WordPress, which is basically like, you know, Netlify CMS seems to kind of give you some, like I remember the media editor in WordPress still and like always hating that thing. Yeah, like, why can't I just yes. put a file on disk or something and then link to it? So I think we don't, I mean, we're, we prefer just to use you know, the Git workflow that we're used yeah. to. But I mean, like at the same time, like these tools like Netlify CMS are nice because you can have basically the best, like, well, you can have both worlds. <laughs> I won't say the best of both worlds necessarily. Hopefully, I mean, like 
I think there's a lot of promise in these kind those kinds of tools. Like, I mean, I, there are others out there. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, I can't tell you like which one is like really nailing it. I think we should totally ask people to get back to us and let us know if there's something that we should use instead of Netlify CMS. Cause I'm sure there, there are some other ones out there that are as at least as good, maybe better. But yeah. I would love to hear if there are better options out there. If we didn't have developers like running the blog, essentially it would be not the best choice to have our, <laughs> our blog. And like, it, it may be worth, uh, it may have been worth like going to an actual CMS um, as opposed to having everything middle. Yeah, but no, I think like if like non-developers are, if- if you're non-technical and you want the benefits of a static site and like a first class CMS, then probably you want to have like a, um, like a headless CMS static site developed. I hate to say, but like, you know, that's like the, that's like the more modern, um, like, uh, like Gatsby JS, for example, is going that, that's an example of a headless CMS where basically like it can generate a static site, but it can, it can generate it from any content source like WordPress, for example. So you could have, everyone using WordPress still, but you get the benefits of deploying a static site to wherever S3 or Netlify or et cetera. That sounds like simultaneously both cool and hell. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Think, well, I think, <laughs> it doesn't I think have I to was... be WordPress, by the way. Like it could be like, it could be a ghost or um, like any number of things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if I was non-technical and I wanted to have my site up and blog and separate from my app, I would go with ghost or, uh, yeah. Squarespace. And I, I don't think I would, I would just use something it. hosted still like, yeah, exactly. you know, old school. Yeah. 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 yeah then, totally. Again, keep the app completely separate. Like, you know, yeah. own, own the dub, dub, dub and the blog and whatever else on that static CMS thingy, mm-hmm. whatever you choose, and then have the app do its own thing on its own subdomain. I think we're discovering why so many like commercial CMSs are consulting where. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And I mean, that, that is like, um, I was going to say like the, the whole headless CMS route, like it really, I think it really is the key is if you want the benefits of the static deployment, because again, there are, there are like, like if you're, if you're anticipating like being on the front page of Hacker News every day or something, (laughs) um, or, you know, a few weeks out of the year, like, you know, it would probably be better to host on a static site than like hosting a WordPress installation or something. I would, right. <laughs> you know, the, you still yeah. have to man, like P, you still have to run PHP and or whatever. Um, I haven't hosted ghost, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Just let somebody else host it. <laughs> let someone else host it. Yeah. This is all really good points. And like, let's, let's talk about hosting for a little while. Like, so one of the, one of the things in favor, I think of, of not having all this stuff as a part of your main application is because the scaling, the scaling stories for a static site is way or way different than yeah. for your application. Yep. And yeah, so having those two things coupled may not be the best solution. And one thing you were saying, Josh, a little while ago was that you're talking about when we launched. And this is one thing that I, I keep, I always forget, right? I always forget like things were different back then. And I, I've got a question for you all that, that will make you feel old, but did S3 even let you have publicly accessible like files when we launched? Like in, what was it? 20, was it 2011, 2012? I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I remember the date. I don't remember if S3, your question. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say no, it didn't exist at the time. I'm sure uh, I'm going to be wrong when I say that, but um, I've got to look yeah. at it now, now that I'm curious. But uh, yeah, I don't, I want to say that S3 static hosting was not a thing when we launched. Like, I think for a while we, 
we would run a static site generator and then like upload it to like a publicly accessible, like we'd like SFTP it to like a, a public directory somewhere on a server that we owned. And for sure, we used S3 though for a while and like that worked, like that was, that was nice, but also you had to sort of like set it up yourself and it was kind of a pain in the neck. So now we are on Netlify, which is sort of, it's like Netlify CMS is, is a little bit off of a tangent from it. It's not really the main Netlify product. The main Netlify product, if you don't know about it, it essentially lets you, it's like Heroku for static sites, right? You push your repo to GitHub and Netlify gets a, a, a webhook for it and builds your static site and then publishes it for you. And I kind of like Netlify. Like I, I think it's super convenient for standing up sites. Um, it's super convenient. Like I love the preview um, capabilities where you can set it up to build preview sites um, on for all of your branches. Like that's that's just super handy. But I really haven't. Like I know Josh, you've struggled with it a bit in certain aspects. So I, I may not have the most complete picture. No, I think I think overall it's still it's still a positive. Yeah. So speaking of the whole preview thing, I remember back in the day working for a client that had this like rails app that they were, it was basically like a custom CMS. I forget that it was using one of the CMS gems that existed back then. I don't You might remember some of them. <laughs> I think then. I know the client you're talking about. So I think I built that for them. You did yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. That had, it was basically like, uh, it had like a preview deploy process that like, uh -huh. but it deployed it to a whole different server. Yep. And so when you updated the content, so you would make all your changes. It was actually, it was actually kind of cool because you could like, edit all the things and get it, you know, basically like live preview it, like, cause it's just a rails app updating your server. And then it had a deploy button, like in the CMS UI <laughs> and, and, uh, when you clicked it, it would basically like spawn a deploy to production. <laughs> so, but their yeah, content was, editors are doing this. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a pretty wide. Yeah. I yeah. did that for them. That, that was, was that was a, yeah, I mean, that was uh maybe it was ahead of its time or something like you were, you were, uh, <laughs> well, you, you know, where that inspiration came from though, is movable type. Was it like one of the granddaddies of CMSs, uh, built in Perl and totally yeah. awesome. But basically what it would do is, yeah, you could, you could write a bunch of content and, uh, it would store that in the database and then you push a button and it would deploy all that. It would render it all out the static HTML and then put that where it needed to be served. Super awesome. I loved it. Yeah, so, I used to yeah. use movable type um, yeah. back in the day. That was didn't Fog Creek have a product that was something like that too? Yeah, they did. Yeah, good memory. I can't remember what it was named, but yep, it's like something city. Yeah, I don't know. Do either of you remember the? Uh, I want to say it's Justin Searles who has a project that I saw recently that is like lets you build a static site using a static site generator in a Rails app. Is that? ring any bells i was just i was trying to find it on uh yeah, it sounds i was familiar. trying to search for it and i can't i can't pull up what it, i can't remember what it was called if it exists but then there's also there's also like a uh, another like static site gem for rails called high voltage that a uh, thoughtbot created but that's that's different that like lets you do static pages in rails or something so i've got a question for you like what if the static site you generate is um, just all the files you need to um, have another Rails project that generates static sites. <laughs> it's like so you'd have static exception, <laughs> static site factory or something. That's our new. That's our new product for um, exceptions on static sites. Is static exception. <laughs> the pricing is very generous. <laughs> Low traffic. So the takeaway for today's conversation is 
host your main site on a separate subdomain from your app. The end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that works. And host I mean, everything yeah, like, else relate all the other content related to that to that app on the <laughs> on the static site. <laughs> on the static. <laughs> That's site, the other yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the one thing that I will say, like it, you, you mentioned this before, Josh, about it's it's nice when it's rendered from your app that you can do things like add a, you know, your logged in header thing to the top banner, even on the public site. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that also makes easy is like if you have documentation where you have API keys that you're displaying in your documentation, you can just put it right in there. Like I, I'm pretty sure the Stripe does this where they show you an example and like there's your API key that you can use right there. And that is so nice. Like yeah, copy pasting work. I really like uh, that too. Of course, all developers do, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've always wanted that. that. I, yeah, that's one thing I miss about our doc site is like we never took the time to because you could you can work around mm -hmm. it, right? You can do a cookie or something. Yeah, there um, there are some hosted documentation services that provide that as like a feature that you can like insert uh, user data. Uh -huh. So there's nice. there's got to be a way. I'm sure, sure Star can Star probably has that on a branch. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, totally, right. totally, guys. I've got the whole damn site done on a branch. I'm just, uh, I'm just spoon feeding it out though, so I can, uh, I can, I don't know, go to the horse races all day. Well, if you want to, um, if you want to just deploy that thing that lets you let lets us put random uh, sensitive user data into the docs um, at will, <laughs> that'd be good. Yeah, I'll do that. I'm cool. sure that that's there's no like GDPR um, problems <laughs> with that. <sighs> yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think maybe the reason I've had a good week is that, that, um, I mean, let's be honest, like setting up a new static site generator is one of the most like pure, like innocent, um, activities that a programmer can do. There's a reason that people, the programmers who want to make blogs, like spend like six months setting up their static site generator and they write like one post about how they did it. And then they never write another post. Um, <laughs> and that's because you have all the, you have all these sort of like, you know, naive dreams about um, about how easy everything's going to be and how automated and wonderful it's going to be. And um, you haven't had, you know, you haven't had to, to come up with uh, against the reality of that um, as you actually try and do stuff with the tool. It's just, you know, you get to, to goof around with the tool. So yeah, when it comes to blogging uh, as everything, like the real challenge is the writing, not the, uh, <laughs> not the thing you're using to generate the blog, which I think is why there's a lot of blogs that end up with just like, yeah, how we built this blog. Definitely been guilty of that in the past. So you remember the, what was the Jekyll uh, based blog template that everyone used like six, seven years ago? Uh, something about an octopus. Octo, Octopress, was that? Oh yeah, Octo yeah. Octopress, Octokit, something like that. Octopress, yeah, that's right. Remember, because they had like a default theme, and like, like literally every developer blog on the planet. Yeah, it was it was kind of like it was a little bit like Dev Two before Dev came, you know, came on the scene because everyone had their own blogs, um, which were where they posted like their learning experience and stuff. But like, no one went, no one took the, you know change the theme so like you can always tell like who's who's writing like a new develop developer blog because it was just an octopress um setup or whatever yeah and i, I used it was pretty nice yeah, yeah, it was. i was, was impressed nice. by it, it was great i met the i met the uh the creator of that at a conference one time and he was super nice yeah he was a super nice guy yeah, it was cool now i just use wow. like vanilla jekyll migrated back <sighs> wow 
this has been a great conversation. If there is, do you guys have anything else to add about um, on this topic? No. All right, then I guess we will sign off. Thank you all for listening to us rant and uh, rave about static sites and sales sites. And it's such, it's so funny because we're like founder quests and we're talking about business and all this stuff. And it's like, it's like, we're going to talk about this business thing. And we talk about that for like five minutes. And then we just sag into the technical aspects of it and talk about those for an hour, which is fun. I mean, it's good. Yeah. This has been Founder Quest. Uh, review us, please. And if you want to write for the Honey Badger blog, we do, you know, we still do that. We have people write tutorials in Ruby and Elixir and whatever. So just go to our honeybadger.io forward slash blog because it's on the same, it's on, it's on our main domain, right? It's on www.honeybadger.io forward slash blog. So easy. And yeah, look for the write for us link on the, the top header. And that's it. So I will talk to you guys next week, I guess. Have a good one. Founder Quest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word, where you can access our huge back catalog of episodes. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.